This small letter to Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to Titus, who was a leader over the churches on the island of Crete. It's considered one of the pastoral epistles because it's addressed to someone who has a pastoral leadership responsibility. And Paul had left Titus on Crete to oversee the establishment and growth of churches planted there. This was even more critical due to the existence of many false teachers impacting these brand new churches filled with brand new believers. Crete was also known for its level of immorality and its godless living, and so strong oversight was needed. And so Paul had left Titus there, and he writes this letter to encourage Titus. And the theme of the letter is essentially the inseparable link between faith and practice, between belief and behavior. Have we heard that statement before? The connection between belief and behavior. Throughout this short letter, Paul directs Titus on how to build these churches into healthy churches through proper leadership, proper dealing with error, and proper Christian living. And we're going to look at just a few verses where Paul addresses proper Christian living. So we're going to look at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I'll read if you'll follow along with me. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men... You are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. In Psalm 145, we see these words, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Today we're going to be talking about what it means to impact the next generation. This idea that one generation will commend the works of God to the next generation. It has been said that the church is one generation away from extinction. That if we do not pass our faith on to the coming generation, the church will die off. This is a critical, critical passage. And Paul begins this chapter addressing Titus with this one sentence. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He addresses belief. He calls, this is a call to a life of sound doctrine. And this is in contrast to what is happening in chapter 1 where Paul is addressing, especially in verses 10 through 16, those who were teaching heresy, who were pushing the continuation of Jewish law and new Christians, who were teaching things that were not in line with Scripture. Paul even says about these false teachers, pay no attention to them. They're going to cause you problems. And he encourages Titus to preach what is sound, what is sturdy doctrine. And sturdy doctrine is the ground and the motivation. It is the basis and the motivation for our behavior. Why do Christians, why are we supposed to behave a certain way? Because we believe certain things to be true. When we know the truth, the truth works in our life to where we behave a certain way. Our confidence, though, is in the grace of Jesus Christ in that behavior, not in ourselves. It is produced because we know the truth, not in a way to find the truth or somehow better the truth. 
Paul challenges Titus to teach soundly, it says, what accords or in accord with sound doctrine. He's saying everything you teach, Titus, must match the truth of Scripture. You must rebuke the teachers who are teaching falsely. And the goal of, teach, of rebuking them is to be sound in the faith. That they become sound in the faith. And so he starts with this idea of sound belief. That our belief system must be true. It must be based upon the truth of Scripture. Then he gets into the behavior. And in verse 2 and 3, he has a call to influence. That based upon the truth of Scripture, there is now behavior that needs to be carried out. There's a call to influence. This understanding of sound belief, as you know the truth, is to impact your behavior. We've heard this before. Throughout our study of Colossians over the past few months, what we believe impacts how we behave. And this is not cultural in nature. His addressing of the older men and the older women isn't cultural. Because the basic comparison here is between sound doctrine and false teaching. Sound doctrine never changes. The mission of New Life Church, and you can read this on the front of your worship folder each week, is leading people into a relationship with Jesus through the gospel. And here in Titus, Paul will help us in understanding this effort. He calls on those who have a level of wisdom to do this. He challenges those who are older. Hopefully, as we age... We are to be examples and teachers to the rising generations. One way or the other, good or bad, we are teachers to the rising generations as we age. Now the term older here, as we find it in verse 2 and 3, is a relative term. If you are older than another man or older than another woman, then this is for you. So officially today, we're all older. Okay? As long as there's a baby in the nursery younger than you, you are older. The word more accurately, though, means mature. These are people who need to be having influence spiritually. If there are people to whom you can have a spiritual impact, then this is for you. You are in this category of older today. Okay? Some of us feel much better about calling some of you older. First, he addresses older men. As we mature, we should be learning to rely on the gospel more and more. So that we can be godly examples. Hopefully, as as men, as you and I age, we start to realize that the gospel is more and more important. that That it needs to have a central place in our life. And we learn to depend upon it more and more. First, Paul says... That older men are to be sober-minded. In other words, clear in their thinking. A clear-mindedness. Restrained in our thinking. Able to think and make decisions clearly. Often a younger person will ask me a question and my first thought is, how do you not know the answer to this? This seems obvious. And then I remember, I'm old. Uh, Older. Thank you, Sue. Older. What does that, what does, how does that help? Well, I've probably already made that mistake four times. And so the input can be, hey, here's some input. Here's some advice based upon the truth of Scripture that will help you along. Then he says we're to be dignified. Dignified. This means honorable and worthy. 
that there is a gravity and a weightiness to our character. One scholar put it this way. These are men who have given themselves to that which lifts the mind from the cheap and tawdry things to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. That is what it means to be dignified. To have gravity to our character. You know, there are benefits to age. It clarifies your purpose. Your focus becomes more into vision, doesn't it? There is an understanding that time is limited and it's precious. Younger men often think they have an abundance of time, so they waste it. And older men can come alongside and say, you know, you need to protect your time. Time is precious. Let's get into focus. And we step beside the younger men as dignified, honorable, and worthy with a weightiness to our character that says, let's walk this together. Let's use the time wisely. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to be focused on those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Not on a bunch of other stuff, but those things that are worthy, that are excellent. Then he tells us to be self-controlled. Now, this is a necessary fruit of any believer. No one gets a free pass on this one. It appears in every list of virtues in the New Testament for every believer that we're to be self-controlled. If we have the truth, we will be growing in this attribute. As you grow in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you grow in the attribute of what it means to be self-controlled. So the question becomes, are you self-controlled? How can you self-evaluate? Well, let me give you four thoughts. Three, actually. Here's how you can kind of tell. Your tongue has matured from complaining and criticizing. Am I self-controlled? Well, has my tongue matured from complaining and criticizing? Second, your thoughts have matured from lust and wandering. And then third, your actions have matured past anger and laziness. How do you know if you're self-controlled? Check your tongue, your thoughts, and your actions. Paul goes on to say that the old men are to be sound. There's that word again, meaning sturdy and accurate. And he gives them three areas where they need to be sound. In their faith, in their love, and in their steadfastness. First, their faith. They need to have a mature trust in the Lord. A mature trust in the Lord. Second, their love. To be sound in their love. Now, this is an outworking of sound faith. If you have trust in God, it will show up in your affection to God and to other people. Frankly, gentlemen, if you are an old coot who doesn't like anybody then I would say you don't necessarily have a problem with love, you have a problem with faith. That your faith in the gospel and in Jesus Christ is strong enough, it builds up in you and wells out of you a love for God and for other people. The church does not need old coots. Because we are called as older men to be sound in our love for others. And then he says we're to be sound in our steadfastness, our endurance. Our character is demonstrated as life 
changes, either to us or around us. Aging brings change, both to us men and around us. And a strong, sound, steadfastness of character will help us to endure those changes. Well, what are older men supposed to be like? And what are younger men supposed to be able to learn from them? Let me give you just a few thoughts. These are things that older men can show younger men to be not critical, but prayerful. We should be critical. We should not be critical, but prayerful. Not caught up in irrelevant pastimes, but engaged in serious pursuits. Not weakened by fatigue, but depending on Christ for our strength. Not focused on our own faults, but on the power of Christ and the power of sound doctrine. I believe often, men, we don't minister into the life of younger men because we don't think we have anything to offer. And yet Paul would tell us that we can't focus on our own faults, but the power of Christ working through us into the life of someone else. So Paul says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And then in verse 3, Paul addresses the older women. And remember, as long as there is someone younger than you, this is a pursuit that you are to have in your life, ladies. First, he says, you're to be reverent in behavior. Literally, having conduct appropriate to the temple... This, word has, this, this idea of reverence, it has so much depth to it. It means to behave as a priestess, as a daughter of the Most High God. What are older women supposed to be like? Well, you're supposed to be behaving as one who ministers before the very throne of the Most High God. It is this kind of conduct that needs to be passed on to the next generation. Then comes a couple phrases that are very, very interesting. And once I kind of started, I laughed through them. I got kind of the depth of what Paul is trying to say. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Well, these are interesting requirements, aren't they? It, It was commonly known that the unsavory women of Crete were given to problems in these two areas of activity. First, slander. And I only address slander, not that I think anybody here has ever struggled with that, but because it's in the passage, okay? Slander. Don't talk about people maliciously. The Greek word used here is diabolos. Anybody know where this is going? It means of the devil. Paul is saying, women, don't have the devil's words in your mouth. Here's what I've found, though, as a pastor, that slander often comes out of a desire to help others. It can start as concern and care, but it spins out of control, usually in the form of a prayer request. But it is no less a trait that must be allowed to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, older women, be reverent in your behavior. You serve before the throne of the Most High God, and make sure that the devil's words aren't coming out of your mouth because you stand in the temple before the one who has given you life. And then the most interesting phrase of the entire passage, it says, older women, don't be slaves to much wine. Drunkenness, 
Well, this was then, and I'm sure even today, is a huge problem in every culture on earth. This given to wine or drunken is in every list of the vices in the New Testament. In Crete, amazingly enough, it was actually esteemed as a virtue in women. Now, I don't know who came up with the virtue of drunkenness in women. I'm pretty sure it was men. For some reason, I'll let you figure that out. Here Paul adds the idea that the Christian women should not allow themselves to be slaves to alcohol. Throughout his writings, remember that the Apostle Paul says that as Christians, we are to be slaves to only one. Slaves to Christ. Paul is essentially saying, women, you are ministering before the throne of the Most High God. Don't allow the devil's words to come out of your mouth. And don't allow yourselves to be slaves to anyone except this one that you serve. Nothing or no one is to come between you and your relationship with your God. Then Paul tells the women of the church this. Teach what is good. Now in the coming verses, Paul goes into detail. As he admonishes the older women to fill this teaching role in the lives of young women. But his deep desire is that those experienced in marriage and in child-rearing ought to teach the next generation of women. Now, this is not a prohibition of formal Bible teaching in any way, but specifically on how to live as a godly woman, as a godly wife, and as godly mothers. There are certain things that can only be learned when one woman teaches and models godliness to another woman in the upcoming generation. All the sermons by men will not have near the impact of one woman of, of this generation ministering to one in the next generation. Elizabeth Elliot said it better than I can. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of famous missionary Jim Elliot, said this, It would help younger women to know that there are a few listening ears when they don't know what to do with an uncommunicative husband, a 25-pound turkey, or a two-year-old tantrum. It is doubtful that the Apostle Paul had in mind Bible classes or seminars or books when he spoke of teaching younger women. He meant the simple things, the everyday example, the willingness to take time away from one's own concerns to pray with the anxious mother, to walk with her the way of the cross with its tremendous demands of patience, selflessness, and loving kindness, and to show her in the ordinariness of Monday through Saturday how to keep quiet heart. I am sure that if we did a survey, many of the women in this room would love the opportunity to have a relationship with another woman from another generation and walk life with them in the simple things of life. And so after addressing the older men and women, Paul moves through details of what this will look like, and then he concludes this chapter back to the basis of all this, the call to the gospel once again. In verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Are we surprised that the Apostle Paul reminds us again, once again, that the gospel is the strong ground, the firm basis of all that we strive for and all that we commit to. That the gospel is the basis of all we do. The gospel, that we are each created by God and because of that, he has the inherent authority over us. The gospel, that we each exist to bring glory to God for his own pleasure. The gospel, that we are sinners and have failed to glorify God above all others. The gospel, that because of our great sin we stand condemned before a holy God. The gospel, that God's great heart of love has made for each of us a way to be saved. The gospel, that God's plan included sending to earth the Son of God, Jesus, to die for our sin. The gospel, that God raised Jesus from the dead, fully satisfying the needed sacrifice that the Father required. The gospel, that everyone who truly repents of their sin, trusting only in Christ's sacrifice, receives all the gifts of the gospel, including full pardon and righteousness, joy in God, and eternal life. The gospel is a, the basis for the behavior of godly men and women. Well, practically, how can this happen here at New Life? Well, the first thing I think of is that you need to be confident in your relationship with Jesus. That you need to be one who has accepted his call to the gospel and given your life completely to him. If he is calling you today to himself, then accept that call. Respond to it and give him your life. If you are older, don't wait. Don't question yourself. Don't say, well, I'm too tired or I'm too old or I don't have enough to offer. Seek out someone younger than you. Take the risk. Ask someone, how can I encourage you? It's that simple. How can I encourage you? What is God doing in your life? Heed the call to impact. If you're younger, not only look for someone younger than you, but carry yourself in a way that promotes connection with the generation above you. Watch the lives of an older believer and then invite them into relationship with you. And heed the call to be teachable. Now, all this can happen very organically within the church as we build relationships with one another. I thought about when we were working, preparing this time today about having everybody stand up and move and go sit by somebody you normally don't sit with. And I thought, well, that wouldn't work. Okay, let's do this. Let's have everybody go sit by someone younger than you. Well, then that creates all kinds of problems. (laughs) But it can happen organically simply by moving across the room. If we did a little survey, we'd find that there are pockets, probably. There are pockets of age groups sitting in this room. You know, we can just start by sitting somewhere different. Because we don't have pews, that seat isn't where you sat last week anyway. It got stacked against a wall and moved out. It can happen organically. And it should be happening in each of our families, too. 
as we impact the lives of our children and our grandchildren. You know, you say, boy, I feel very, I'm not good at this. Well, then I would encourage you to take one of the parenting classes that's offered throughout the year by our marriage and family ministry. Learn. Get better. Don't give up. Maybe even go to our bookstore and buy one of the grace-centered parenting books to help you along the way. There are also simple ways that this can happen in the ministries of new life, ways that you can impact the next generation build relationships, and fulfill the challenge of this passage. I want to highlight four of them. The first one, ironically enough, is called Titus 2. And this is a group of older women who desire to reach out to younger women. Sound familiar? Well, you can meet them at a display in the lobby this morning. Maybe you're an older woman who says, I want to know what it means to really minister into the life of a younger woman. Go and get involved in Titus 2. You say, I'm a younger woman who would just like to an older lady to come alongside. Maybe just have coffee with me once a month. Go and find these ladies. And let's start crossing these boundaries that we have put between us. Another way you can impact the next generation is get involved in our student ministries and minister to middle school and high school students, including New Life's mentoring program to young men. They have a display in the lobby too and there will be people there willing to talk to you about how you can get involved in the lives of, yes, I said it, middle schoolers. You can impact a coming generation. Here's what we have to understand. That if at any time our student ministries are meeting upstairs, our middle schoolers or high schoolers, You're looking at the coming church. Those are the pastors and the elders and the leaders of the next generation. You can either choose to impact that or not. I would suggest impact. You can also reach the next generation and minister to them through our children's ministries from birth to fifth grade. You say, birth? Do you know that at less than a year... Our nurseries start teaching the Bible in the nurseries. I can think of worse things to do in the life of newborns. What a chance for impact. From the very beginning of life, impact children. And this includes our ministry to special needs children called God's Music. They meet each week. And right now... There are so many who need this program that we are trying to figure out a way to expand to both hours on Sunday. So that instead of just having this ministry at one celebration hour, we can have it at both. But that takes lots of people. It isn't one teacher to 12 kids as in some of our other classes. It's like two teachers to every student. You can minister to the next generation. The other way you can do it through our children's ministries is through our summer neighborhood Bible clubs. You can bring the children and their parents in your neighborhood to your backyard for a week this summer. And you can get information about all that in the lobby at the children's display. And then one other I'd like to highlight is New Life Spirit of Adoption Ministry. And there is a lobby display there also. What a challenging and vital way to impact a young life. By bringing them into your home as your own. As a matter of fact, Cliff and Anne-Marie Fallon 
are spending their last week in Brazil, and they are bringing home, count them, four boys that they are adopting into their family through this ministry. They will need a village, I'm just saying. (laughs) You can impact the coming generation through the ministries of New Life Church. I'd encourage you to stop and talk to some of these folks this morning. Well, let me finish by saying this. In these last 10 years, I have sought to seek to impact younger men through the gospel. Several years ago, somebody challenged me to come up with a mission statement for the second half of my life, which was, took me aback when they said the second half of my life, but once I got over that... And what I believe God spoke to me was impact the next generation. Start raising up men now. And so each week, I anticipate getting together with men younger than me, which seems to be an increasingly growing group of people who are younger than me. But I get together, we get together, and the goal is to encourage them, to give advice as needed, to share the scriptures with Sometimes to father and care for them. Sometimes to kick them in the rear at times. To watch them grow and mature and respond to God's voice. It's great stuff. I would ask you this morning to join me in that effort all over this church community. Can you envision the impact if every one of us would have at least one other person who is investing themselves in our life because of the gospel? And every one of us has another person in whom we are investing ourselves because of the gospel. Can you imagine the impact on the coming generations of the church? The greatest need of all our lives is to know Jesus. And to have those around us who can show us how to follow Him. What can you do? Share your life. Men, impact the coming generation of men behind you. Women, impact the coming generation of women behind you. It has eternal consequences. Our prayer partners are going to come. And we're going to worship together in music. And as we do... These are people who their desire is to not just pray for you, but connect you with Jesus and to help you hear from Him. Maybe this morning you've never given your life to Christ. That when you hear the gospel, it penetrates you. And God says, this is my word for you. Respond. Come to one of these individuals and they will point you to Jesus. Maybe today you need wisdom in knowing what you're supposed to do to obey this teaching today. You need to ask God to send someone into your life to create a relationship. Maybe just the guts to do that. Maybe it has nothing to do with the message. Today, you have a need for physical healing or a heavy burden of some kind to be pulled off. Connect with God today. Connect with Jesus in this place. Let's stand together and worship. And if you need to come for prayer, please do.